Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals, with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Sound Toys, an audio effects developer dedicated to bringing color, character, and creativity to the world of digital audio. And now your hosts, Joey Surges, Joe Wenasek, and Al Levy. Welcome to another episode of Mix Crit Monday. We got some submissions from the audience. They have been improving, which is nice. So we've noticed a drastic improvement in the quality and the skill level of the people who are listening to the uh, episodes. And if you're listening to this, hopefully you are getting some value out of this. And if you have any questions or ideas or feedback, you know, or anything in a specific show, let us know on the Facebook groups or via email. We're going to be digging into this first song here. What's it called? It's called Hive. Before we talk about Hive, let me just say that I just need to piggyback off of what you were just saying. I've talked to AJ Vienna on Skype one-on-one, and we have also featured him on Mixed Crit Monday before, and this is better than the last thing we did. And a few people that are at the producer and intern level, I've done Skype crits with them, and man, it's such a good feeling to hear people getting better. Like the people who are submitting for Mixed Crit Monday for a second or third time and who have done the Skype crits with us, it's blowing my mind. Like, hats off. It's a good feeling to know that you guys are actually listening and uh, <laughs> applying it. Yeah, It's both scary and exciting. It's exciting for every reason you just listed, but it's scary because people are actually listening to us, which probably isn't a good idea. Well, as long as we keep it to this. Of course, we want everyone to get better at what they're doing. It's the purpose of this, all of this, but it's nice to just see some actual results. So starting with this song here, who is the mixer? The mixer is, as I said, Mr. AJ Vienna. Yeah, and the song is called Hive. All right, let's listen to it. Here it is.
All right, that was Hive. First thing is, it's hard to hate on this because it sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, it's great. But if we are giving it an honest critique and we are being constructive, I think there's still some fundamental things that are wrong here. And for me, the starting point was the dynamics of the drums. The dynamics or the balance? It's the balance. And also, I feel like not just the balance, but like the snare never really had that that sharpness that I wanted it to have. Yeah, okay, let me piggyback on that, though. I agree with you that it's a little bit flat, but what did you think about on the blasts? Because when he's hitting the blast, I love how the snare sounds. I personally think it sounds perfect, but then like when he's hitting anything a little bit harder on the fills, like I wish it just had a little bit more smack to it. Yeah, I agree, yep. Well, that is what blast beats should sound like. Blast beats should sound like their own little thing. They shouldn't sound like the rest of the snare hits in the song. Robo rimshot snare. (laughs) Well, just, I mean, let's think about what a drummer is doing when he's blasting. He's minimizing his motion if he's any good. It's mainly wrists and fingers, and he can't do too much or he won't be able to physically move that fast. It's called economy of motion. It's simple physics. So it's a completely different technique than, say, the one you would use over a halftime part or even a thrash beat. So it really shouldn't sound the same. It's going to be a way lower velocity on the snares for the blast beats, therefore giving a completely different tone. So yeah, I agree with you guys. I I think that if these are real drums, then the drummer needs to hit harder on the other parts. And if these are fake drums or just samples on top of real drums, then the velocity work needs to be uh, gone over to reflect what the accurate velocities would be in a performance. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like the snare sounds terrible. It actually sounds pretty good. It's just almost there. You know what I mean? It's like, I listen to it and I'm just like, yeah, dude, this is like really solid. You know, we're nitpicking, but definitely like, you know, there's just a few little things that could be taken there. Yeah. Balance wise, I found that the hi-hat was throwing me off a little bit, especially like on the thrash parts. There's two different kinds, you know, the kick, snare, kick, snare, or snare, kick, snare, kick. Whichever one it is, it still just wants to feel like a puta, 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 like have a nice forward motion. But the volume of the hi-hat is so far up there that it's interfering with that forward motion that the drums need to supply. So I would highly recommend rebalancing that. Here's a question for you guys. Did you guys feel like the guitars were a little bit hot? And the reason I say that is because like, I felt like the drums kind of just got swallowed. Like I just wanted the drums to drive the music a little bit more. And it was too guitar focused. Like the, I don't know if AJ is a guitar player or not, but it sounds like a guitar player mixed it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And uh, the other problem with the guitars is that I felt like I'm um, looking. I'm looking it up right now. You keep talking. I'm going to see if he's a guitar player. <laughs> That's that'll be good to know. No, I like most of the choices that were made frequency wise, like EQ wise. However, there was just a, a couple of narrow bands in there that needed a little more adjustment. I think it was maybe a little bit too much, perhaps 2K. Yes totally with you on that yeah and it was just a little bit much to where it sounded a little nasally in that area i feel like it was masking some of the rest of the mix like maybe the drum top end for example on the snare or the kick would have cut through a little bit better there's just that ringing two to three somewhere in there that was kind of like really pulling and dominating the ear in the mix and because of that it was kind of like not revealing some of the other things if that makes sense 
Yeah, and it's easy for that to happen if your listening environment isn't properly set up. If you didn't notice that about the EQ of the guitars, then perhaps there is a problem there and uh, might be, give you a, a little insight on what to look into. Did you find out if it's a guitar player yet? He is a guitar player. Oh, there you go. All right. I win. Plus one. <laughs> <laughs> I found it on Facebook. Yeah. Well, what about this, guys? What do you guys think about the kick drum having a little bit more sub punch? Like, I think it's cool because he's got the kick kind of mixed very, I would say, like black metal-y. And, you know, it's not really super punchy, but I feel like the whole mix just needed a little bit more of a driving energy to it. And it just like a little bump down on the sub. Well, there's interesting things that can happen. And I know the three of us have talked about it before, but probably not on the show. So like if you have your cymbals at a certain loudness over the rest of your drum kit, it can create the effect that your drum sounds start to get softer. Yes. And there's also these other balances. So having your guitars too loud makes your drums sort of get swallowed or having your vocals too loud makes your music sound kind of wimpy or having your bass too loud starts to make everything... Muddy. Yeah, muddy. So here's the thing. It's like, of course, mixing is about balance. And of course, there is a balance of taste versus a balance that I guess would be considered the quote-unquote right way. Now, if your taste is one thing, but the result of that is another, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's definitely a certain range, right? There's not a right and a wrong way, but there's going to be something where you're going too far this way or too far that way. And I think you need to maybe just observe that a little bit more, listen to some more productions that are heavily uh, enjoyed and celebrated and if you can get closer to that then your mix will be more in the range of where it's i guess more effective to the to the audience expectation all right guys i think that sums it up on that one aj great job uh what's up next templar by robin lejean let's have a listen Right, that was Templar by Robin Lejean, Dejean Mustard Boy. Lejean. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Uh, song sounds really cool, and there's a couple of problems, obviously. Otherwise, we wouldn't be critiquing it. Let's just start with 
the fact that the leads are so buried sometimes. Did you guys catch that? Yeah, I'll, 100%. I'll back that. I mean, again, I like the mix in the song. I think overall it's really good. That's definitely one of the small things that was on my list. Here's how I do leads, because it happens to everyone, right? First thing is, I'll get the lead sounding pretty good how I want it, kind of in solo, right? And I'll bring it into the mix. And I'll get it set, I'll get it in a position where I like it, but I'm not going to count that as my final mix. So I'm going to come back to it in a day and be like, those leads are way too quiet. Happens every single time. But I always allow myself to have that second guess, which enables me to eventually get the lead in the right volume. And the same thing happens to me on vocals too. It's just that always having a lead instrument seems to make sense to come back to it and make sure that it's at the right volume. Do you guys do anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I classically undermix leads or, well... I usually get my instrumental mix slamming, then I bring in my lead guitars, or I'll do vocals first. So sometimes if I do the lead guitars first, and then I'll kind of forget about them because I'm very focused on vocals because the vocal is usually the star of the performance. So you'll get the vocal and then the lead will disappear over, say, the chorus, and then you kind of forget there's a lead there because you don't care because you're making the chorus sound massive and you know everything sounds good. And then the band's like, dude, where's the guitar part there? And you're like, Oh yeah, there's a guitar there. <laughs> so I've done it a million times and I tend to forget lead guitars, which is ironic because I'm a lead guitar player, but it's definitely something that you have to pay attention to a lot. And I like to limit the crap out of my leads. I feel like that helps or compressing them very hard because you only have a very small window of both frequency space as well as volume headroom to work in with a lead because you've got this crushing, especially like in a heavy mix, you've got this crushing guitar and bass and drum sound and a very big vocal. It doesn't really leave much room for the leads. And I feel like that's like one of the epic battles that you have to deal with because you're in the you're fighting with the cymbals and the vocals for that kind of upper mid-range and top end. How about you, A.L.? Yeah, well, and then also, forgive me if you already said this, but bringing the rhythms down in a part like this is pretty key. However, that's a Pandora's box because bring the rhythms too far down and all drive basically escapes. You get one of those mixes that's drums and vocals and a lead, which is not... And those are gel too. Yeah, that's not good either. But I, I still think that bringing the rhythms down just a little bit on these kinds of parts goes a long way, but you definitely need to toe the line and definitely limiting the shit out of the leads helps. I always have a strategy to take care of things like this. It, it works for vocals and leads and stuff, and it's the way I set my session up. So I always have these folder tracks because I use Cubase. Put all my drums in the drum folder, put all my bass in a bass folder, all my rhythm guitars in a rhythm guitar folder. But then I leave my vocals and my lead guitars are sort of at the bottom. And it always reminds me to double check because when I hit play, I'm watching the playback cursor go across the song and I'm like, oh yeah, it's hitting that lead part and I really can't even hear what that's doing. And it's like a final reminder of like, oh yeah, don't forget about all the lead instruments, you know, and make sure they don't get swallowed. And uh, one of the ways that you can kind of save it in the ninth inning, so to speak, is to use something like L1 or LA-2A, or just some kind of limiting amplifier or limiter that allows you to suck a little bit of the dynamics out and decrease your headroom so that you can increase the volume of that instrument. I was going to ask you guys if you thought the rhythm guitars were too long or loud. Just like the last song, I felt like the guitars were kind of dominating the mix a little bit too much. And, you know, there's some balance. Like, for example, me, for me, the cymbals I thought were a little bit loud and distracting, as well as the rhythm guitars. And I would have liked 
just a little bit less. And I think that would have helped bring a little bit more clarity into the mix. I think that the high end of the bass guitar was a hair distracting. And I actually like that kind of sound, but I thought that it was just a little bit too loud, a little bit too separated. I want to hear the dirt and the clank, but I don't want to hear it like its own isolated thing. Yeah. Like overall there was, I feel like just a little bit too much fizz and white noise kind of sounding just frequency nastiness in this mix that could be notched out and just cleaned up a few little cuts here and there with very tight cues on an equalizer. And I feel like the result of that is, I mean, you could even do these cuts on the master if you really want to be lazy about it. And I feel like the result would be just a lot more clarity in the mix overall and just a little bit more pleasing to listen to, you know, because that fizz kind of accumulates across all the different levels of distortion. And it kind of just wrung my ears just a little bit. I felt like the bass was just too loud overall. Not really the low end, but more so the high end. And I wanted to remind the person who was working on this, you know, that bass is a center instrument. So it always has a loudness favoring over hard panned instruments or stereo instruments. Just the fact that it's in the center and it's mono, like, you know, be careful because it gets real loud real quick in that zone. What'd you guys think about the snare? Uh, I have a lot to say about the snare. (laughs) I'll say my piece then really quick, because I wanted it just in general to be brighter. And again, that might have been a function of the amount of like overall fizz and kind of high-end brightness in this mix, that some of that was tamed back a little bit more. There might have been more of the transients punching through. So I'm interested to hear how you're going to attack this, Joey. Did you find anything weird about the snare, Al? The exact same thing that Joel just said, actually. Okay, so... I think the snare has too quick of an attack on the compressor setting, which is making it softer. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and I wish that there was a little bit more, I guess, crack or maybe even high. I want to hear a high-end tick on the snare, you know? It's just not there. So, like, on some of the slower hits, when there's not a whole lot of density in the mix, like in the breakdown section, it sounds pretty cool, but it's still kind of missing that, like, that tick sound, that high-end, like, crack and uh it makes sense for the body of it right the body of it sounds great so i think what you could use on that is either a sample that's strictly for the transient of the snare sound that could be blended in but make sure that there's no low end on that because you've got good low end on your snare now you just need a little bit more upper high end frequencies on the transient of the snare Or you could use a transient designer to maybe bring out the attack a little bit more. Um, And I'm not trying to plug my own products, but I swear Transify would be perfect for the snare (laughs) if you are using the the high-end frequency band. So It would. That's pretty much what all I have to say about the snare. I was going to move on to the kick if you guys are ready. Yeah. Yeah, so what I feel like is that I can hear it, and that's cool. And I can feel it too, and that's cool, but... It's not really punchy and warm the way I would like kicks to be because it just sounds like it's missing a lot of information. Now, the fact that I could hear it and that I could feel the low of it, that's a good thing. But it definitely just sounds like it's majorly, majorly way too carved, way too scooped. Yeah, I agree. Totally. The biggest problem I have with the kick is the lack of the mid-range. And it makes sense, you know, for a lot of heavier styles of music like metalcore, metal, death metal, deathcore, you know, all that stuff. You suck out the mids of the kick, it just sounds better. But there's definitely a point of no return. You've gone too far. Uh, You've taken too much out. 
And the phenomenon that can happen is it starts to, on different speaker systems, it starts to disappear in different ways. And I feel like you do need the right balance of mid-range to treble to bass on the kick in order to make it stick out at just the right spots in the various speaker systems. So when I crank this up on my speaker system, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the low end. I'm hearing the low end of the, of the kick. I'm also hearing that tick sound, but it's getting lost in the mid-range. And so it kind of just sounds oddly like not a part of the song. It just sounds like it's kind of just floating above the song or like underneath the song. And it's not really, you know, living within the, the frequency space of everything. So I don't know what kick samples you're using, but you might want to either add another sample for your mid-range or just take another look at your EQ. Yeah, that's one of the hardest things to get right with a kick, especially in these heavier genres. It's because like you want it to be tight and scooped and brutal, but you can disconnect the entire mix if you're not careful and lose all of your impact. And it's I've done this a million times. I was mixing something last week where the exact same situation, I turned in the mix and I was listening to it and then, you know, listened to it the next day and I was like, oh my God, the kick is too disconnected. It needs some mids. So there you go. Yeah, disconnected is a great word for what we're hearing in this song. I call it drums in space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot in death metal too, just the kick in space phenomenon. Yeah, and you're lucky that you got a mix crit without any vocals. Well, I feel like vocals would have brought out a lot more problems. I think that with vocals, we would have heard things that kind of barely aren't sticking out enough, really not stick out. So I'd be curious to hear what this sounds like with vocals. Yeah. That was Twisted Into Fragments by Aberration, and the mixing engineer is Kyle Rhine. Kyle, we got to have a talk here. <laughs> Kyle. Holy high end. Yeah. yeah. What about pumping? You have gone too far into the world of narrow EQ adjustments in your high end or something. Something weird going on there. So how can we, where do we start? <laughs> well, guitars and vocals. How about the cymbals? Yeah, that too. Just maybe like squinch up in terror all right pick one and we'll just go down the <laughs> okay list. symbols start with symbols too loud yeah <laughs> masking harsh ouch 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the words that come to mind. Could be, uh, you know, maybe let's start with, do we know if it's real drums or could anyone detect if it was real drums? I couldn't tell. Okay, I'll just speak generally that if you are recording drums or cymbals in a small room, you're going to have a billion frequency problems. And that's part of, you know, the whole acoustic treatment thing and having the room the right specification to be able to actually record music properly. It all has to do with the reflections, your comb filtering, your room modes, and all that stuff can all play a factor. So if you're working with a small room, you're screwed because this is never going to work for you until you fix that room. If these are program symbols, you maybe just went too crazy on the EQ or maybe the samples, maybe you're processing them in a weird way or the, or the samples themselves are weird, not sure which, but uh, that's something to think about. Now, let's say you're trying to do some like high-end boosts. You record some cymbals, they end up dark, and you're like, man, I need some more high-end on these. I think the thing that you'll find is that if you're using like a linear phase EQ or something that's more like a, a really nice and smooth high shelf, you can get better results than using a bunch of pointy sort of narrow Q width EQ adjustments or like, you know, the 31 band EQs that have sort of a fixed Q width on each band. Those are not good to use for cymbals. You need to use something a little more broad, I find, at least for addition. Yeah, totally. For subtraction, you want like parametric EQ or something, but that's where I'm starting with the cymbals. What do you guys think? I totally agree. Also, just straight up too loud. Yeah, the entire top end is just off, like we said, and starting with the cymbals and guitars, and even like I said, the vocals, when they came in, I was like, man, is that the vocal or the guitar or the cymbals that are ringing me? And I couldn't figure it out. It was just like the accumulation of frequencies together synergistically it's just too bright and it might just be a few areas that are ringing in each instrument or it might be the just the way they're summing together it's hard right now to tell but yeah i mean geez hey what, what do you guys think about all the pumping on the master i feel like the entire master bus compression setting is wrong because i can literally hear the mix sucking in and out and like not in a good way yeah it's uh it's definitely not there yeah and the thing that we're always paying attention to anytime we're doing a master or mix bus compression is to not really exceed much more than 3 dB of any kind of adjustment anywhere in the song. Unless you're Dan Corneff and you're amazing and you can pull that shit off. Yeah, and you know, this is to say that there is no right and wrong. Of course, there's some people who they just mix a certain way that when they bury the needle, it sounds great. When I mix, I make a lot of small adjustments over the course of all my tracks. I have layered compression. I have layered clipping and also layered EQ. So I'm finding a lot of times for me, my mix bus compression needs to needs to live around 3 dB at the most because any more than that, and you will hear and feel that pump. And, uh, you know, just open up your mix again, take a look at what the mastering compression is doing and see if, it, if you're burying that needle because nine times out of 10, you just back that off a little bit and the whole thing opens up and it sounds way better. Here's the thing with master bus compression, right? It's supposed to make the mix gel together. So it's kind of like using a cooking analogy. It's the salt. You put it in, it brings all the spices, flavors, and ingredients together into one taste. It's the same thing with the mix. Like the master bus compressor is supposed to bring it all together and make it move and impact and hit as a song. And, you know, it's supposed to work with the feel and the vibe and just kind of like give it that life and that gel and that glue where as you take it off, it's like all of a sudden the mix loses its energy and its movement. So that's the goal 
we have the opposite of that going on right now, which is pumping, where it's like it's actually distracting from the timing and the feel of the song, where it, this whole song is sliding back and forth all over, forward and back, top to bottom, left to right. You know, it's it needs to to lock in the song, and it's doing the opposite of that. It's actually causing it to go into like a negative movement where it's working against the song. So it might just be an issue of not only threshold, like Joey was saying, and getting the right gain reduction, but also the attack and the release settings may need to be tweaked for the song based on the tempo. So listen to those things. And when you find, like you can dig in really hard with the compressor and then adjust the attack and release settings and find the spot where it moves synergistically with the tempo and the feel of the energy of the song and then back off the threshold to where you can hear it and it sounds good. And then when you disengage it, you're like, oh, everything just fell apart. That's kind of the easiest way to get a master bus compression setting, in my opinion. What do you think of the guitar tone? Harsh City. Sounds like a practice amp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's a weird combination of, I mean, I hate mids. You guys, you guys know me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm famous for it, even though sometimes I like mids, but whatever. F mids. I feel like the mid range of the guitar is way off, but the high end is so bright to begin with that it's hard to even judge the mid range or the low end of the guitar. Even if it is like too bright, because there's a taste thing there, right? Yeah. You can have really bright guitars and still have it work. It's just the fact that how he made them too bright wasn't done properly to the point where it's it's painful. And we're not trying to hate on you or anything. Believe me, we want you to get better, and we're trying to be constructive in our critique. But the the problem is, once you get into the higher frequencies, you got to be careful because if your adjustments aren't smooth, it will sound painful. Call me crazy, but I feel like if this is an amp, maybe it's distorting before it even gets to the amp, or maybe if it's an amp sim, like he's driving a, an overdrive pedal real hard. It just has this tone, like this actual guitar tone that makes me think of like a metal zone or something turned up. <laughs> the metal zone. <laughs> Before it even gets to the amp, it's already distorted like crazy. And it just, I have, I'm having a hard time placing it, but it's not right. Yeah, the other thing that really gets me about the guitars is I feel like every instrument is completely disconnected from any other instrument in the mix. For example, like I was talking about gelling and master bus compression, it's also an issue of instrument equalization, meaning and balance where it's like, you know, the guitars are there, but I don't feel like they're working with the bass. They're just like, I hear bass, I hear guitars, I hear drums, but I don't hear them. You know, they're, they're like too separated, but not the correct kind of separation where it leads to clarity and punch and like, you know, power. It's the kind of separation where it's like floating in space. Everything is just doing its own thing and it's not actually working together as a song. It's just like a bunch of stuff randomly playing and at the same tempo in time. Yeah. Yeah, totally. This might be right for a redo. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that's really cool about the progress of becoming a great mixer is if you have projects like this that you can identify where you're going wrong, which is sometimes half the battle is even knowing what you're doing wrong. So once you've got this information, right, you know now, okay, this is the project where I'm struggling and this is why... I'm struggling with it. You can zero that project out and start all over from scratch. And you can remember sort of what you did the first time and kind of think about what you're doing now. Be like, well, I remember last time I was working on these guitars, I was pushing the 5K with too narrow of an EQ adjustment. And, and somebody was telling me that, you know, Joey Joel and Al told me that it was, it was too narrow. So 
maybe you can find a better way. You know, you want the guitars to be brighter so you can figure out how to make them brighter, but now you know you know, what not to do when you're making them brighter. And that'll help you mix it better the next time. Yeah, I feel like this entire mix, if you reapproached it, could be solved by two major moves and it would get you maybe 80 to 90% there minus some little detail work. But one, getting the right master bus compression settings, but two, also readdressing the entire equalization. So things are a little bit less separated, not so bright, and using more of the detail of the instruments and or maybe reapproaching some of the tones, for example, reamping on the guitars or the bass or whatever. And um, if you can do that, that will get you eighty percent, maybe ninety percent of the way there. And then it's just working on fine tuning those interactions across the entire system. Throw away the metal zone. <laughs> metal zone. <laughs> I've actually gotten some good results with a metal zone, but do you guys what I mean? Like it sounds like the distortion off of like a pedal into a board or like something like that. Like it doesn't sound like an amp or a, a good sim. It doesn't have that like. Wait, you'll find out he's using like one of your impulses or something like that. <laughs> yeah, shit, dude. I just provide the stuff. I can't, you know, I make the cars. It's not my fault if you drive it into a wall. <laughs> well, all right. Yeah, and check your mixes against references more often. And yeah, uh, it could be the monitoring too. You know, like the room. Yeah, yeah. and the way what he's hearing coming off his speakers. That's a good point. Could be headphones as well. Who knows if he even mixed it on speakers or not? Um, yeah, I've I've definitely heard headphone mixes that sound like this. And if you have that dude's pair of headphones that he has, it, maybe it sounds awesome in them. <laughs> you know, it just Absolutely. it just depends depends on how you're consuming it. So just definitely check your mix on more listening sources, and also check it against more references, and you'll find that like, oh yeah, of course my cymbals sound weird. I can hear it right now. If you decide to redo this mix, post it to the private producers club along with the original mix. Uh, we'd like to hear the difference. Yeah, I'd be happy to give further critique. Yeah, that goes for anybody who's gotten either a Skype crit or been on Mix Crit Monday. We would love to hear how you've taken the advice and improved the songs. Generally, we don't get to hear where the songs went after we critted them. We just get to hear them in that original form. Sometimes people will post the newer versions, but I just want to come out and say that we encourage you guys to post the versions, the post-crit versions for everybody to check out and and see how you improved because a lot of you guys really are getting a lot better. Hell yeah, man. Well, there it is. Well, thanks everybody for listening and we'll... Check in with you next time. Yep. Bye-bye. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Sound Toys, an audio effects developer dedicated to bringing color, character, and creativity to the world of digital audio. Visit soundtoys.com to plug in some attitude, to ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact. Visit urmacademy.com and subscribe today.